It's a joy to welcome you all to Ananda Village on this glorious, glorious spring day, and also to welcome our online visitors wherever they are watching us from. Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Nayaswami Anandi. This is Nayaswami Bharat. I'll begin with a reading from Rays of the One Light, which are written by Swami Kriyananda and are parallel passages from the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. This week's reading is on the subject of deeds versus intentions. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ emphasized repeatedly the spirit, not the letter of the law. In chapter 5 of the Gospel of St. Matthew, he speaks of the sin of killing and of the legal punishment attendant on that sin, but says that more important than the act is the desire to kill or to do harm. He shows that the sin of harmful desire goes beyond merely wanting to kill. My message to you, he said, is this. Whoever is angry with his brother without cause already stands condemned. Whoever contemptuously calls his brother a fool shall answer for it to the Supreme Council. And whoever calls his brother an outcast of God shall be in danger of hellfire. Brother here means any human being. For all of us, in the highest sense, are brothers and sisters, children of our one Father, Mother, God. The true self of one is the self of all. To hurt another is, even if one doesn't realize it, to hurt oneself. Swami Kriyananda in the path recalls an episode in which the master, Paramahansa Yogananda, revealed his sense of identity even with the plants. One day, Kriyananda wrote, we were moving a delicate but rather heavy tropical plant into position on the hillside. Our handling evidently was too rough, for Master cried out, Be careful what you are doing. Can't you feel? It's alive. To wish death to anyone, to wish even harm to another creature, is to deny in oneself the reality of that divine life of which all of us are manifestations. It is, in short, to deny the eternal truth proclaimed by the Bhagavad Gita in the second chapter. This self is never born, nor does it perish. Once existing, it cannot ever cease to be. It is birthless, eternal, changeless, ever itself. It is not slain when the body is slain. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, 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 o
Good morning. I'd like to read from uh, Paramahansa Yogananda's book on mystical poetry, Whis Whispers from Eternity. <clears throat> o eternal fire, thou art the little soul flames rising through the burner of cosmic manifestation. Each human being is but one flame, separate seeming from all others, and also from thy universal source of power. Thou dost appear many, finite, limited, small or large, but ever divided, shooting up as separate entities through the pores of living organisms. But thou alone art the one eternal flame. All things other are but thy multifarious appearances. <clears throat> There was a very wealthy man who um, was very uh, was very much of a miser, and uh, he was nearing death. And he uh, asked his wife to uh, to come over and to give him a promise. And so uh, he said, "When I die, uh, I would like you to put all my money in my casket so I can take it with me." Uh, <laughs> And so it came and he did pass and uh, uh, there was the funeral and his wife, long-suffering it says in the story, uh, she uh, brought her best friend to the funeral and then just before they closed the casket, she put a small wooden box uh, into the casket and her friend afterwards said, you, you didn't put the money in the casket, uh, did you? And she said, um, yes, I did. I promised him I would. I wrote him a check, and where he's going, if he can spend it, he's welcome to it. <laughs> well, she was following uh, the letter of the law in that case. <laughs> and there's a big difference between deeds uh, and intentions. And it's really, uh, it's the energy uh, the feeling that we have behind something. It's not our actions. The, uh, John Muir, there's a story of him. He was, uh, uh, had a photo uh, photographic memory. And so his father had made him uh, read and memorize the Bible, which he did quite easily. And his father was very fundamentalist. And uh, he uh, would, uh, he was pretty uh, conservative as well. And, uh, but uh, Muir could find 10 scripture verses uh, to refute anything his father said. And his father really regretted that he had had him <laughs> read the Bible. <laughs> There's um, uh, another story of, about, uh, well, actually I was reading about animal communicators. And they say that uh, every thought creates a mental picture. And uh, when we're speaking to a dog, let's say the postman is coming and your dog is getting very upset, uh, you, uh, if you just, uh, most people when they say to their dog, um, you know, they don't want their dog to bite the postman, but they have this image in their mind of their dog biting the postman. So the dog uh, doesn't hear the words or the thoughts, it just sees this picture that says, bite the postman. <laughs> And that's what the dog does. Well, um, the, isn't this the science of affirmation, where um, we choose a, a thought uh, that's, in, tooth, uh, that's uh, in tune with the universal truth? Uh, it's, uh, you know, we have a whole stream of thoughts that are going through our mind all the time. Uh, scientists have said that we have 
1,200 word thoughts a minute. And out of those 1,200 word thoughts, 100 are positive thoughts. And so all this, you know, you've heard about the negative self-talk. Well, this, uh, we aren't really aware of that, but it has tremendous uh, consequences. I just have almost finished a book called The Elephant Whisperer, and I know many people here have read the book. Uh, but he, he talks about how the animals, uh, uh, in a very clear way, they pick up on their thoughts that the, uh, the author has this animal reserve in Zululand. And he said, on the day that we're going to, uh, you're going to go out and you're going to uh, dart the rhinoceroses, uh, uh, they know it and they're just gone. You just can't see one. But the day before, they were just all over the place. Uh, and he told a story of a hunter on the reserve, he was uh, observing him, and he had a permit to take one of the uh, impalas. And, uh, but it had to be from a bachelor herd. Well, he went out, and all the different, uh, uh, the males that were with, uh, uh, they had a her- in a herd of females, uh, they were just standing out in the open with not a care in the world, <laughs> where all the males couldn't, that were in a bachelor herd couldn't be seen at all, and somehow they had picked that up. Well, it's, life is like that. It's always picking up you know, on our thoughts and our consciousness. And can you imagine what negativity does uh, to our spiritual magnetism? You know, this whole flow of thoughts about uh, limiting God and, and what God is. Uh, God is his creation as well. And what we're saying that it's not good enough, uh, that there's a flaw here. And that's a constant thought that's going on. You know, thoughts are extremely powerful. Um, You know, uh, thoughts are very real. You know, this whole world is the thought of God. And uh, it it says everything in nature uh, is God's artwork. And, you know, do you know that you can actually feel and hear God's thoughts? Uh, Did you know that? Um, When God thinks, uh, uh, the thought has energy and it creates movement. And it creates vibration. And Om is God's thought, is uh, God's active intelligence permeating this world. And so sometimes you can hear whispers of God's thoughts. You can hear it in the trees, can't you? You can hear it at the ocean and maybe along a, a mountain stream. You can hear whispers of, of God, that his presence in this world. Well, this, uh, this whole world and all of us we're just an expression of God's thoughts. Well, the question is that he gives us the ability to think too because we're, uh, we're images of God. And so he gives us the power of thought as well. And so uh, we are sort of like on our training wheels and we learn to perfect our way of thinking. Uh, and, and we have to ask ourselves, what kind of world am I creating with my thoughts? And more and more, as Yogananda said, uh, Yogananda said one of the highest prayers is that I will, um, I will reason, I will will, I will act. But guide thou my reason, will, and activity. So that uh, we aren't thinking our thoughts, but we're in tune with the, with the thought of God. And we're in tune with uh, God's will. But when you step back and you... Uh, Think of you know how God has made this world, and people have talked about this world that uh, so many of the saints you know, say it 's just all all love it 's just all bliss, and that's uh, that 's the experience that we come to and there's um, there 's a whole movement now of 
looking at the cosmos and how it really represents God. And one astronomer was saying is that for billions of years, the earth has been held by gravity in space. It's just the perfect distance so that the light and the warmth of the sun is just really appropriate for life on earth. And uh, whenever we become still and quiet, uh, don't we feel that underlying joy and love of God. There's a beautiful story of Sir Francis' young husband. He introduced uh, Paramahansa Yogananda uh, to uh, the London uh, audience and, and when he was given a, uh, a lecture when Yogananda was. Well, he was the first uh, uh, white person that ha- had traveled from Beijing all the way uh, to over the Himalayas, through the Gobi Desert, and eventually to India. And he uh, couldn't speak uh, the language with his native guides, and he traveled at night. And just for week after week, month after month, he was just in complete silence. And eventually, at the end of their trip, they came to a little spring, and there were a few birds chattering at the spring. And he said to him, it sounded like a busy London street. You know, the, the noise was just so powerful. Well, one evening, when later on another trip, uh, he'd been in the wilderness for 15 years, or 15 months, uh, he went out on a calm evening, and it was in Tibet, and it was just so still, and his work really was accomplished. He was leading an expedition, so he had more people on this trip. Uh, But he just, in that stillness, he just uh, could uh, let his soul relax, he said, and he let it out. And he could just feel this just vibrant love just permeating all existence. And he literally said, I fell in love with the world and that I, uh, that I experienced that only love exists. Well, it's, it sounds like a, a phrase that people, you know, they say. Uh, but when you're in the consciousness of that uh, reality, uh, you know it's true. And uh, you see all life uh, as that. And so this is God's thoughts. Uh, This is uh, what he's given us. And it's up to each of us uh, in our own way to uh, really work towards that. And to be, this is why uh, we have this reading today is that we have this whole underlying, you know, thoughts uh, and motivations behind uh, everything we do and to just really step back and be aware of ourselves and uh, where, like Master was very, very firm on, about not letting any, uh, anyone express any negativity at all. Uh, and you just couldn't do it around Master. And he was just trying to get it in all his disciples' heads about how important it is, is not to go there. The, um, the Christ consciousness is uh, the, the still, calm presence of God in every, create, uh, every atom in the universe. And every quivering atom is at first quivers with ohm, and then there's manifestation. And we've come from that spirit. Uh, we've come from God, and through the Christ consciousness is where we're, uh, we're created into manifestation through ohm. Uh, and uh, we're every soul has come from that bliss, and every soul is seeking that bliss. That's what we all have in common, and that we have that essence uh, in ourselves. Master, in the reading, uh, uh, he was, well, most of us have grown up in a Western culture, 
And uh, Western culture, we, we think that humans are alive and anybody that walks uh, upright uh, is more alive than anything else in the universe. And he was trying to break the disciples that habit. And there was a, this story of one monk, he was out on the um, Palm Springs, uh, uh, or what was the name of the ashram? Yeah, 29 Palms. And uh, Master was outside working. And this disciple was on the other side of the house, and he was working, and he saw this dried-up old desert bush uh, that was uh, almost all dead. And he thought, oh, it's a shame that every time uh, Yogananda, a master, uh, walks by, he has to look at this scruffy old bush. And so he just started with a shovel, just hitting the bush and trying to, uh, from the roots, just cut it with a uh, shovel. And he was almost done. And he heard this voice, is it alive or is it dead? And then he thought, oh, Master's omnipresent. He heard my thoughts. And then around the house came uh, Yogananda saying, is it alive? Is it dead? And he goes, well, it's pretty dead. (laughs) (laughs) And only two more uh, hits with a shovel would have killed it completely. And Master said, you knew you shouldn't have heard it. You knew you shouldn't have. And, and the monk felt like he had just hit a, a small child. And Master put his arms out around the plant as in protecting the plant. Uh, and then, um, uh, and then he, he kind of tuned into the plant and Master said, it's going to live. It's, it's going to be all right. And Yogananda was teaching that disciple and through that disciple, all of us, that we're living in a world of God, that everything is alive and everything has consciousness. You know, we, um, can you imagine, imagine what it would be like to live in a dead world? Well, that's how we're, we're partially dead if that's, we see everything else as dead. Uh, uh, but so it's just so, so important. And you know, when we deny uh, the divinity in something, what we're doing is that we're shrinking our experience of cosmic consciousness. You know, just think of that. We're shrinking our experience of cosmic consciousness. And Swami, in the, uh, the Promise of Mortality reading that parallels this reading that we have this week, he talks about that, um, that the, the, uh, the, the flow of our, uh, our feeling is strongest, or the flow of feeling is strongest at its source. And so if we give love to everything, um, that source of that love is within ourselves, and then it goes out. If you have a negative emotion, uh, some tiff that maybe you have with somebody else, just think of how you might be stewing in that feeling and that emotion, and then finally, maybe four months later, you get a chance to express it. Well, that's just a, a short little expression of the energy, but just you've been living in that reality of that emotion. And so it's just very, very important to, you know, that it, it harms us and it affects us. And again, we have to think of what kind of world are we creating for ourselves and, and for others. In the Bible, Jesus Christ said that, Seek ye the uh, kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. And when we give love to other people, when we see God in them, uh, then um, everything comes along with that. There's a beautiful, beautiful story of Father Kobe. Uh, It took place during World War II in Auschwitz. 
And he was um, there in the concentration camp. And in his cell block, a prisoner escaped. And uh, the Nazi guards had a rule that any time a prisoner escaped, that uh, they would take 10 people from the cell block and they'd be put them in a bunker and then they'd be starved to death and they couldn't drink. And so they lined up all the prisoners, uh, 60 across, 10 rows, and they selected 10 prisoners. And as they selected the 10 prisoners, the immediate response of virtually everyone there was, oh boy, it's not me. Well, uh, Father Kobe wasn't picked, but there was a man, a prisoner there, who said, oh, my wife, oh, my children, I'll never see them again. What will they do? And Father Kobe stepped out, and he said to the German officer, may I have a word? May I speak? And the officer said, what do you want? And he said, I have no mother. I mean, I have no wife. I have no children. Let me, I would like to take his place. And so he did take his place. And so those prisoners, 10, went into the bunker. And usually after about two days, all the prisoners uh, had died because they were all so agitated. Uh, and, uh, but uh, Father Kobe prayed with all the prisoners. And when the Nazi, guard, Nazi guards would come in to check on those prisoners... Uh, he saw them in prayer and they would actually have to shout at the prisoners because they were so deep in prayer and immersed in God consciousness to a high degree. And so after yelling at the, gar- uh, as, at the prisoners, they would get their attention. And then after a while, after two weeks, uh, the prisoners were starting to die. And uh, the guards would come in and they'd be on the, on the ground. But Father Kobe would either be standing or sitting, just wrapped in prayer, his face just blissful. And he was praying for everyone, the prisoners, the guards. And finally, uh, and when the guards would come in to the cell block, uh, Father Kobe would look up at them. And they just couldn't take his look. He was just looking at them as though they were uh, fellow parts of the Christ consciousness. And, uh, and they, uh, they just couldn't take it. And they ordered him to look down at the ground and not stare at them uh, because he was reminding them that they were committing a sin against the Christ consciousness. Well, it was taking too long for Father Kobe to die. So they uh, gave him a lethal injection. And then he died. Uh, uh, all the other prisoners... Um, even though they had been with Father Kobe, they, um, uh, they had gone through a lot. And they, um, it's, and, uh, but Father Kobe's body was just perfectly relaxed. He, there was no dirt on him at all. His face was just serene. And, uh, and I just, you know, that's such an incredible story because he, he lived in the consciousness of God. He saw God everywhere. And the more that we can do that, uh, the more that we'll transcend the limitations of this world. And uh, God became his only reality, became eventually, in a a great way, uh, the reality for all those prisoners, and I bet you even some of the guards. And so this is really the secret, uh, and this is really the quest of every devotee. Uh, We are placed here on earth, 
and we think we're separate from everything else in creation. We're given self-will and God helps us along the way in terms of feeling that we're individual. Uh, But the whole secret is to realize that that's not what we are. We're unified with all creation. And the the deeper we go in meditation, the more attuned we uh, become uh, with our guru or whoever your guru is, and the more that you serve God and each other, the more and more we'll come uh, to that. And of course, it's not what we do, but God seeing that this is the desire of our heart, a desire that has become our only desire, then he'll take us and bring us into his arms and we'll be free forevermore. Bless you all.